we all have fears. You're not alone in your fears. And that was the message I wanted to champion throughout the festival. We all have these daily fears that hold us back in some way. But the sooner we can identify them and realize we're not the only ones, the more we can work together and have more empathy and compassion and realize that, yes, it's human to feel this, but we can also overcome it together. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. This is like the first time we've been away from each other. (laughs) I know. Guys, you should see the scene. Actually, we should probably record this video and show this to them like on like side on the side. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hey guys, welcome to the Almost 30 podcast. Chris and I are not in the same location for the first time in quite some time. We're just recording. We're recording on Zoom. We're recording intros. I'm in my house. We had a long ass day and I just didn't want to freaking drive across town. Me either, man. I didn't want you to How long was your ride back today? Oh, it was like... Oh, to my place? Well, he got lost. Yeah. He he casually got lost. <laughs> so this him. this morning, Krista and I did a live interview uh, with Pia Arobio, uh, the designer behind LPA at the Collab Propel Fitness Festival. That's very hard to say. And it was just incredible because Pia's the shit. She, she the she's shit. like actually one of the raddest people I've met in re- recent history. Uh, you know, I was like, I was thinking, I'm like, what do I love so much about her? There's a lot. Mm. I just love when someone is consistent across the board. She's cool in person. She's cool online. She's the same person she is online as she is in person. There's not a difference. And she's consistent to different people in her life. So I would see her like go talk Mm. to her husband and it's like the same. You know what I mean? Like, you know how like people yes. are different to different people and she's yes. just like the same across the board and it was just refreshing. And she's only 31. She's created this brand. And what was really refreshing about it was that like, she was so open and honest about like, how oh, she didn't know what the fuck she was doing for a lot of yeah. this process, but that that was kind of her favorite part of it you know, Mm -hmm. like that she wouldn't have changed any part of that. It was, it's kind of made the brand what it is. It is kind of raw and real and in her voice and like coming straight from like her creative Mm -hmm. soul. So yeah, I just like, it was fun. We're going to have her on the podcast guys. So we'll have her on, but Pia rocked. We killed it. Yeah, we killed it. (laughs) Like, like killed it. Yeah. It was funny because... 
we sat on those like invisible chairs. Dude, so it was amazing. I mean, it was the bomb. <laughs> Fucking love Propel. But the, they had stools and the stools were like clear. So it looked like you were kind of floating. <laughs> and the stool, the, the bottom of the stool where my butt, butt was like sitting, yeah. I felt like I was sitting on a pin tack. I honestly like had to use core strength to hold myself up. It was terrifying. I well the thing about clear clear chairs you know you're sitting in the we were sitting we had sh- like kind of short dresses on <laughs> we were like being cool and chill yes. and like kind of grungy but like short dresses and I was like oh fuck like my thigh no matter what no matter what size thigh you got if it's pressing up against the clear chair I'm like there's some serious like cellulite happening, fine, whatever. There's some serious, yeah. There's some serious like puss against clear, <laughs> puss, against. <laughs> puss against the clear oh, glass. God. It was just like a not ideal situation for me to feel comfortable. And then, I, so I was like, I wasn't nervous, but I was like nervous I would fall off. Same. And my legs were so slippery because I had a short dress on. And I had like glitter lotion, mm-hmm. so I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna slip off of here. Mm-hmm. It was um, hilarious. You fucking killed it, dude. Like. I mean, I think a lot because we felt comfortable with Pia, but thanks, um, Maggie, so much. Yeah, Maggie. Um, for hooking us up with Maggie that. We awesome. love you. That's all thanks to her. Yeah. Um, how do we segue? I was... Oh, no. I don't want to segue yet. I do want to talk about our tour because we're kind of in the thick oh, yes. of getting this together. So you guys, if, you've been, if you follow Almost 30 on the regular, we announced uh, last week that we are going on tour with the Backstreet Boys. Like, no, by yourself. Sure. <laughs> I was going to say the boys are back in town, but that like doesn't make sense. The girls are coming to your town. Yeah. That's actually our tagline. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> we're just pumped. I mean, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it and we're um, just so grateful to the uh, listeners in the various cities that we are stopping mm-hmm. by on our tour. SF, Boston, Chicago, Toronto, New York, Austin, Dallas, and we're adding more. So we're just grateful for our listeners who have already reached out. And if you want to help us plan in any way, spaces, locations. We've got our ambassadors. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been working with Kirsten, Kayla in Toronto, and then we're working with some other people in Chicago. We're starting to. So if you want to be an ambassador in your city and help us connect with local brands that you think deserve some love, let us know. And then, um, you know, a few babes who work in PR in some of these cities have been really sweet and hooking us up. Yeah, they've been the best. So um, you can visit our website and you can get all of the info, ticket info. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will be putting up the event sites um, or the event links um, as the time draws near to each location. So stay tuned for that. We're just pumped. I've, I've never been on a tour. I don't think I've ever been on a tour either. <laughs> I don't know what kind of tour I'd be on. <laughs> no. I ain't never been on a tour. I think like I've been on like a grocery store tour. tour. <laughs> Actually, if we're talking like a tour tour, <laughs> not like a country tour, but my family loves tours on vacation. Oh. We go on as many tours really? as we can. Yeah. So we don't talk to each other. So we're just like on a oh. tour. Yeah. My dad's like allergic to allowing anyone to guide us anywhere. Wow. Like he'll ask and he'll kind of like do his research, but like he doesn't want to have to talk to people like 100%. about it. He's oh like, I don't want to talk. I actually, and it's weird because now that I'm older, I like really like tours. I'm like, oh, tours are tight yeah, because you tours actually are know tight. what you're looking at. Yeah, tours are tight when you have the attention like, span. 100%. 100%. Like 
it's funny how you vacation as you get older. I like start to vacation like my parents. Like before I'm like, can't we just lay on the beach? And they were like, no, we're going to go do this. And now I'm like, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's get up early and let's go on a tour. Mm -hmm. You're a nonstop. Speaking of tours and festivals and all of the good things, that's how I wanted to uh, transition because I'm really good at transitions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this past, I don't even know what month it is. Do you ever wonder if it's if we're heading into like fall or summer or no, winter? No, because it's fucking beautiful out right no, now. That's what I mean. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, where are we headed? So recently we uh, went to El Capitan Canyon. And where do we go, Krista? We went to Yeah Field yeah, Trip. Field Trip. And we met. And at Yeah Field Trip, me and Lindsay spoke at a session, which was great. And we had, um, on the first night, there was this awesome speaker that brought down the fucking house. Stefan Hunt, dude. And he talked about fear and taking ownership of fear. And he talked about the relationship between fear and death and um, changing our view and relationship with death. And he got on stage and he was like speaking and he was saying how fearful he was of public speaking. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny because I was like, he was crushing, he was crushing it. it. And he stops and he was like, I'm sorry. I'm just so nervous <laughs> right now. And you're like, what? Like, how are you nervous? Like you're crushing it. Um, and had just the most amazing story. Like he was such a light, um, he ended and he ended up telling us about. Um, yeah, so he started a festival called We Are All Going to Die. And it is a... You heard that right, people. We are all going to die. Um, 10 out of 10 of us are going to die, people. And it's... A the only sure thing is death. <laughs> <laughs> and the festival celebrates life through the lens of death. Basically, you know, he explained it cuts out the bullshit and puts our everyday fears, like Krista said, into perspective. And it does so through art. Through this art, you know, where he's hopeful that people will be inspired to live more radically, pursue their dreams, like live in the moment, like just be alive, if that makes sense. So through the lens of death, learning how to be more alive. Yeah. And he's also a director, mm -hmm. a filmmaker. He has, dude, he's like so talented. He's so talented. And he has a book, by the way. And he has a book, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Literally. So, so honestly, this is, and I, this is not light, light of me to say, this is, I think, my favorite interview so far. Yeah. Well, it, it's my per, it's my personal. He's also for, told us that we were his favorite interview ever. Hundred, it's, <laughs> it's not the only one. <laughs> but we chalk it up. We got to um, actually do a Zoom video call with him, so we're gonna post that um, on our YouTube page as well. But he is the cutest, sweetest, most like, energetic, much. engaged, amazing human being, and we cannot wait to introduce you yeah. to Stefan Hunt. Like, if you want to. I mean, I'm going to make him uncomfortable by saying this, but like, if you want to draw up a dream guy. Dude, I, well, I, so. I literally cried for three hours when I found out he had a beautiful, stunning, talented, dynamic girlfriend. Mm, boring. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. But he's cute. He's cool. He's got his accent. He's like doing something that fucking matters. Yeah. Like it, this interview is so fun. 
it's interesting. And I guess the the biggest reason why I love it is because I don't know another podcast like ours that's talking about death. Mm. And that's talking about death in such a open and vulnerable way and approaching fear and actually starting the conversation with death. Um, like Lindsay said, you know, we are all going to die and it doesn't make death any easier for people. If you lose someone in your family, you know, there's nothing that can um, match the pain, but being more accepting of, you know, death as something that's going to happen is something that we all need to work towards. So this one's amazing. Uh, Amazing. So you can connect with Stefan. He'll mention it, but we are all going to.com as well mm-hmm. as stephanhunt.com, S-T-E-F-A-N hunt.com. And they're bringing the festival to New York next year. Stay tuned. So we can go to, we are all going to die festival in Brooklyn next year. And like Lindsay said, it's like tons of badass art installations. Like you'll hear more about it on the podcast, mm-hmm. but it's fucking unlike anything I've ever heard of. Incredible. All right, guys, enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes. We love you Oh, yeah, you guys. there was such a great like review the other day. I want to share it. Okay. It was another great one. I love reading your little reviews, everyone. I know they're the cutest. Your little reviews. So this is a great little review that I saw. I started listening to Almost 30 because I had a six-hour drive alone and wanted something to listen to that would help me learn how to better myself. Desperation is always a great reason for starting podcasts. <laughs> Five episodes in and I can't stop listening. I've already told everyone I've come into contact with about the Genius Foods and Flex episode and the 50-30-20. I can't stop talking about how all I've learned and I enjoy sharing with everyone. Cannot wait for more episodes to come Damn. from Rachel. So Thanks, honey. Sweet. Thanks, Rach. Thanks, sweet honey. We love you guys. We read them all and we will read some of them on air. So... Keep them coming. Tell everyone you know about the Almost 30 podcast. It is more than just a podcast and it is more than just talking about, you know, 20s to 30s. We do it all. We love you. Enjoy. Love you. Enjoy. I don't know if I told you, I'm moving to America in July. You are? Cool. Where? Brooklyn. You are? That's amazing. Oh my God. Best reaction. That's That's amazing. Yeah. Sorry, we can't wait. <laughs> I love your enthusiasm. Can we just chat every day? I just love yes, I need this call to just like wake, well, me wake up. up with Lindsay and Krista. Yeah, yeah. I'm like in a exactly. real, real good mood today. So this is gonna be a real good yeah. interview. What have you been up to today? Let me tell, tell, tell me. Oh, oh yeah, turn it around. Yeah. We'd like to be interviewed actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been te- I've been teaching all day. I actually did some songwriting today with a friend. Cool. It was great. I just like was bopping around. It was awesome. And this is like the perfect end of the day. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. What'd you I do, Krista I got a haircut. Oh. And my hairdresser, her name is Star. She had cancer. Mm. Crazy. She had cancer. So her stomach was hurting one day. She thought it was, and she had a dream the, ni- the two nights before that she was going to die. Okay, so in her dream, it was like, you're going to die. She was like, okay. So two days later, her stomach really hurt. She went to the 911 at the hospital because she heard a voice that said, you're going to die. Speaking of, you're, we're all going to die. And um, so she way. went to the ER and they did a CAT scan and she had cancer in her liver. So she had to have her li- liver emergency removed. Crazy, right? Wow. Isn't that insane? But wow. now she feels amazing. She had her liver removed. She feels amazing. She felt like low energy. And it was because of that. So now she's great. 
Dang. And then I talk to my handy person who cleans my house for 45 minutes. Her boyfriend is a drug dealer and she loaned him $6,000 and he moved to Cincinnati and lost $6,000. And now she doesn't know what to do. She's in a pickle, right? Mm-hmm. She had 6,000 bucks just lying around? Six, I mean, she hustles. She puts her Damn. house on Airbnb and she cleans so many people's wow. houses. Wow. I know. I told her she needs to cut it. <laughs> That's really good advice. For do you so agree? What reasons. do you think? Uh, yeah. I'd say <laughs> you think, so. yeah. Lending money to a drug dealing boyfriend who loses it. I mean, (laughs) I feel feel like she'll get out of this and look back in five years and just be like, what was I thinking? I know. That's why I told her, I was like, honey, you're going to look back at yourself in a year and you're going to be like, what was I doing? Yeah. You're busting your ass over here, cleaning my apartment for 6,000 bucks for a drug dealer. Yep. Anyways, so that's my day. And then here, so happy. So happy. So let's first start talk about um, we're rolling, our by session. The way. This is how we yeah, go. Yeah, this is how we we're roll. rolling. Oh, so we're rolling. Okay. Let's talk about our session at Yeah Field Trip. <laughs> what do you think? A plus? Yeah, no. you actually gave me a lot of insight and clarity to not start a podcast. Yes. In a good way. Too much work. It, yeah, too much work. Purely because it's too much work. I want to so badly. I really want to talk to people, artists all around the world about fear because. Everyone has it, but everyone thinks they're the only one with it. And that's what this whole We're All Gonna Die project is about. So I, when I, that was the first session that I went to. I was like, oh, if I could walk away with knowing how to do a podcast, that would be great. I got so much insight into it that I was like, I don't have the time. Like, I, I maybe have half an hour spare a week. How am I going to do a podcast? <laughs> do literally. Yeah, we're freaking people out. We're like, and then you have this group that you work with. Like, yeah. No, but I mean, I it is perfect because you, you weren't just there going like, everyone should do a podcast. There's so much fun. Like, I just like when people talk honestly. Like, oh, I'm 100%. sure it's fun, but it's a lot of work. And you, it, it's really obvious that it's a lot of work and you take it seriously and you have fun. But you can see, I guess you can see the, um, the fruits of your labor. That's why you guys literally. are successful. Yeah. It's That's so why fun. we're number one on the charts. You know what you could do though is um, for we're all going to die as like, if you get your team, we could be on your team and you should interview people that are going to be at We're All Going to Die and it could be like a promotion thing. So like anyone that's going to be there, you put out these episodes and it's not even just consistent. It's like a series. Yeah, so it's like for 12 it. weeks to promote before we're going to have an episode each week about fear or something like that. Literally, yep. we're going to send you the podcast guide. You're going to get a ton. Yep. It's going to be- Pen to paper. Easy piece. He's writing down- <laughs> She should shut up, up. now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. crazy. So I'll help fun. you. Oh, yes. Podcasts are easy. Yeah, I love podcasts how you come write. to me easily. It flows. The energy flows. The resources flow. Keep Have you ever gotten it. your handwriting like, analyzed? Analyzed. The curly cues that you write mean something. You have a lot of curly cues. I haven't had it analyzed, but I've had people send me designs of like brands and they're like, these people are stealing your handwriting. Like p- people have seen, like my handwriting plagiarized. Apparently, not that I'm the only one with it, but uh, I have never had it analyzed. Again, funny choice of words, mimicking, analyzed. I feel like I'm doing something wrong. An Australian. No, it's a. Yeah, no, I'm joking. No, you're amazing. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> you know, we obviously listened to you speak at Yeah Field Trip, which was like such a perfect. You killed it. Opening. Perfect opening yep. to our weekend, truly. And it was unexpected. Be- oh, sorry, I'm trying to get Kristen. <laughs> sorry, I'm on a poof. <laughs> on a poof. Um, it was it was unexpected because, you know, to be honest, I didn't, we didn't know who you were. Mm-hmm. 
And we're like, who's that cutie over there? And then we were like, mm-hmm. okay, he's going to open this up. And truly your um, honesty and, and your honesty with your fear that came through with public speaking, you said you didn't like public speaking. It was so, it, it put us at ease, mm-hmm. which was like, and I think that's like kind of a p- part of how you deal with fear too as a collective. But anyway, I do want our listeners to hear about your story, uh, what inspired this festival. Um, take us back as far as you'd like. We have time. Um, you're the star here, so. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> I see we're recording. We're doing this. Yeah. 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 You're good. Okay, you're great. good. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I grew up in the country in Australia, Really privileged life, amazing family uh, and friends, really supportive community. And I lived this amazing life. Like I am a film director. I get to travel the world, uh, working with a lot of different charities and nonprofits and sharing their story and all really rewarding stuff. But I got to 27 years old and everything just kind of came crashing down. I, I just reached this point where it seems like Everyone around me had their shit figured out uh, but me. And they were killing it at life. And obviously I was gauging this off something like Instagram uh, and social media. And it seemed like everyone was able to just make these fail-proof decisions. And I wanted that because failure sucks. It really, it sucks to give something a go and to feel rejected or embarrassed or, or just judged. And so I started evaluating like every aspect of my life, like my relationship, my career, if I was living in the right place. And I looked at everything. And no matter how hard I thought all of these different hypotheticals, I could never get to a a clear answer of how to live this fail-proof life. I guess that just spiraled and it kind of vortexed into this place where I was in a dark space and, and I went to the doctor and he said I had anxiety and it came in the form of panic attacks and not even being able to go out in public because I was just so afraid of, of just screwing up uh, because I thought I was the only one that didn't have the answers to, to doing life right. And that was a really, really tough chapter. And I talk about it openly and honestly because since then I've learned I'm not the only one that goes through that. But when you're in that, you, you swear you're the only one that feels that stuff and it's super tough. People gave me different advice to deal with it And I learned very quickly that you don't beat anxiety or depression. You learn to live with it. You learn to dance with it. And and so I did that. I actually danced and I surfed and I uh, meditated. And I did different things. And one piece of advice I was given was to write. And so one day I did, I wrote a poem and it was called, We're All Gonna Die. They were the first five words I put down on the paper. And when I wrote those words down, everything changed for me. Like it was like the, it was legitimately like the Lion King moment of like the clouds parting and mm. a big, my own face talking to me. And, and it was like, I finally had something certain in my life. I finally had a guarantee. And I realized in that moment, that is the only guarantee that we all have. You can try to think as hard as you can about what tomorrow holds or if you take this job or if you break up with this person, this is what's going to happen. But there's no guarantees in any of that. You just don't know. But the one thing we do know is that someday every single one of us are going to die. And, and since then, that's gone on to completely shape 
how I approach life. And I honestly believe it's the most powerful force to live by. Before that, did on you? <laughs> that would be a good tattoo. You need a good tattoo. How did you? How did you? F- see death before that? Mm-hmm. Were you fearful of death? Yeah. Like, how did that feel? Was it a, a shift in the perspective of in that way? I think prior to it, I probably looked at death the same way as most people. It was something I didn't really like to think about. It seems pretty morbid and, and, and tragic, uh, which it is. And, you know, the deaths that I've experienced in my family you know, they hurt. It's a really tough experience to go through. Like I wasn't looking at death so much. I was looking at the time that I have before my death is going to mm. come. I was looking at life through the lens of death, knowing that that's going to happen and what I wanted to do with my life. And, and this simple decision of like, you can choose what if or why not. Like I, you can, you can basically you can go about life being like, why not? I'm going to go for it. Or you can go about life saying, but what if this bad thing happens and not do anything at all? And so it was really using death to, to I guess, shift my perspective on how I wanted to live my life. Mm. Did you? How did your relationships change and you know your life change when you had anxiety and depression? I think it was, for me, I'm really lucky that I have a, a great supportive community. But it took me a long time to admit that I was in a dark place. I'd always been like the happy-go-lucky guy. Like I'd always been this rock of positivity in other people's life and people would come to me for advice and I would always try to go above and beyond to help others. So all of a sudden when I needed that help myself, I just didn't know what to do and I didn't want to admit it to myself. And therefore, I couldn't, couldn't admit it to anyone else. And so probably looking back at it, it was, it was completely my ego that really held me back from, I guess, progressing and, and moving through it quicker because I was just in denial that I could have anxiety. I, I thought that something like that wouldn't happen to someone like me because, like I said, I, I feel really, truly blessed with the life I've been given. So why should I have anxiety? Mm. And once I accepted it, that's when everything changed. And like I said, I had a great network of people to speak to um, and soon realized I'm not the only one with like one in four young people experience it at some point in their life. You know? Yeah. And you went the natural route. You did meditation and you kind of connected in. Did the doctors ever prescribe you anything? Didn't prescribe me anything. I have friends that that, you know, are on prescription drugs and, and that seems to work for them. But yeah, I just went the natural route. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think I just, like I said, I learned to live with it and, and I know what triggers it. And mm-hmm. I, I don't entertain that those kind of thoughts or um, actions in my life. I, I look after myself and I make sure I don't burn out and, and just do the things that are good for me. Mm. So from the poem, I, I forget from your talk, did the, the film come first or did the festival? Yeah, so I wrote this poem and I kept it to myself. I didn't want to share it with anyone. It was just my little ethos to live my life by. Uh, And then a few years on, I was talking to one of my mates at the pub one night and he's like a pretty uh, blokey, actually, I don't know, what's his other word for blokey? Um, He's a pretty... Is he a tosser? Macho. (laughs) Maybe macho, just like a... 
just like a yeah. no no bullshit guy. Just you made yeah. me have a, a, a beer with at the pump. And cool. we got onto the topic of anxiety and I shared this poem with him and he read it and I was completely freaking out, thinking like, oh my God, this is the worst thing I could have done. He's going to think it's so stupid because it's like, it's a very childish little story that I wrote. And here I am like a fully grown man sharing it with my mate at a pub. And he read it and he looked up at me at the end and he had tears in his eyes and he said, you need to share this with the world. And I mean, straight away I said, oh, no, that's a terrible idea. Like people will think it's stupid. And then I sat with it and I realized that the poem is all about overcoming fear. It's all about overcoming what people think of you and failing and being rejected. And so I decided to share it with the world. And, and around that time, I met a publisher who said to me, oh, have you ever thought about turning that poem into a book? And I started working on a short film. And so I was working on this book and film. And then I just quit my job. I just became so, I became so inspired by this message, my own message, that I wanted it to be an experience. You can watch a film and, and you can read a book and you can hold it and it's tangible. But I wanted to create an experience where people could come and be the hero of their own journey of dealing with, you know, looking at fear and the role it plays in their life and using death to, to start those conversations. And so I came up with the idea for a multimedia festival and it was a ton of hard work and I spent an entire year working on it unpaid and it launched in Sydney last year and we sold out and it was an amazing success. It was, I was blown away. So like when you started talking about it, I was like, I'm so into the concept. Like this is stun This is like such a cool idea. And then when I saw the pictures, I was like, it's, it was like so visually stunning. Can you talk about like the role of art within everything too? Like, you know, art is such a big part of your life and you are such a like accomplished artist and like creator. So can you talk about the role of art within the festival as well? Yeah, totally. So I guess for me on a personal level, because I'm a film director, there's all these other art forms that I do in my spare time. I, I illustrate and I write and make little installations, but I've never shared them with anyone. I don't know whether that's just because I see it as a hobby or whether I'm actually afraid of what people think of them, but I saw this project as an opportunity to face my own fears of, of sharing this art with the world uh, and also just to express myself in different ways other than just filmmaking. But beyond that, I think that art is this incredible, powerful medium that you can use to connect an audience to a really important message. And so much of the conversations out there I find around whether it's mental health or, or just, I guess, self-help, inspirational kind of messages, they're packaged up in a certain way and I kind of wanted to break that mould. I wanted to use the art and the artists that I loved to communicate a message in a really relevant and accessible way and... I didn't want any boundaries. I didn't want a big company coming in and saying, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. I just wanted to let this festival just completely be an expression of everything I love. So there was film and music and visual art and performance and immersive experiences and panel discussions. 
And it was everything that I love in my life. And it was all around themes of fear and death. And it was all my favorite artists. And I, I, I thought it would work and it did. And yeah, I'm, I'm stoked about that. What were some of the messages that the consistent messages and themes that some of the artists expressed around death and fear? I think one of the biggest lessons that I took away from the entire project was I reached out to artists. Probably half of them were, were friends of mine that are established artists. And the other half I had never even met before, but I loved what they created. And throughout the process of inviting them to become part of this project, I saw that they all have fears as well. And that blew my mind because I think we've always got this idea that the people more established than us have it figured out and that they're immune to fear, that they don't feel it. And then all of a sudden when you see someone who you look up to write to you and say, I don't know if I can do this, like my work sucks or I don't think people will like this message or... I just, I don't think I'm good enough. It, it blew my mind because these are the people that I look up to. And so ultimately for me, it, that the whole project taught me that we all have fears. We all have fears and that you're not alone in your fears. And that was the message I wanted to champion throughout the festival. We all have these daily fears that hold us back in some way, but the sooner we can identify them and realize we're not the only ones, the more we can work together and have more empathy and compassion and realize that, yes, it's human to feel this, but we can also overcome it together. What did you witness at the festival in terms of, one, people's individual reactions, but also like on a collective community level? Like, did you see more connection? Like, what was, what was the response? Uh, yeah, so the, the festival happened on a Friday night. It was a one-night festival and you know, just like America Friday night, people want to go out and get boozy and party and have a good time. Mm -hmm. And instead, we had 1,250 young people in this giant warehouse space with 10 different rooms going through this experience. It was a full-on labyrinth where they could choose their own adventure. And it was like a music festival, basically, but with all different art. And you could go and choose what you wanted to do and then come back to these common spaces and everyone around was just talking about fear and death on a Friday night, which is unheard of. And beyond that, we had so much feedback after the festival saying, I've never been to anything like that for a festival about fear and death. Everyone was really stoked. And it just had this community energy where it was just a non-judgmental space. It was just, there was no judgment there, which is pretty rare especially in the art world, to be in a space mm -hmm. with a ton of strangers and not feel judged. It was just a really all-encompassing festival that celebrated just being human and all of our flaws that come with that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there was a great community spirit and energy and the response was, it blew my mind how positive it was. And then there was cool stories that came out of it about, you know, people. Uh, there was this one, have you heard of eye-gazing before? Yeah. Yeah. So we did eye gazing and a friend of mine was sitting in eye gazing and there were two people, guy and girl next to them. And apparently halfway through eye gazing, these two people just like leant over and just started making out. 
Yeah, legit. And they'd never said a word to each other. They just like obviously connected that much that they just started making up and then they just spent the entire festival together and walked around. Yellowing. Oh, Oh my God. That's cool. Isn't that cool? Hot. Yeah, that's hot. Yeah, isn't it? That's hot. No words. It's like apparently how it happened, she winked and then he just leant over and just kissed. She she's really just needs to blink. Yeah. She's like, I've been eye gazing for seven minutes. She's like, it's on. He totally misread it and now there's a lot of Literally. Yeah. Literally. Whoa. Damn, I could totally see that. What was the most challenging thing about putting on this festival? Like, was there judgment? You know, did, did you try to get sponsors and they backed out? Like, what, what was it like? Yeah, I, I guess as a, uh, as, a, as a typical artist, I was pretty precious about the message and how we executed it. So I spoke to different brands about, you know, supporting it and, and coming on board as a sponsor. And no, no one was interested in a festival called We're All Gonna Die. Really? And the funny thing is, like, the message is fear less, live more, we're all gonna die anyway. And so they said, if you call it the Live More Festival, we'll happily come on board. And I didn't. And I didn't because, again, I believe that in order to get through to this certain audience, I needed to share it in the most authentic way. And and that was calling it something like we're all going to die. It got people's attention and no one had ever been to a a festival about fear and death executed in this way. Like it wasn't morbid and it wasn't, you know, some weird little subculture of people that are really into it, like wearing... Some like death metal. (laughs) Yeah, like I, I feel like you'd imagine people in like Matrix outfits you know what? You know, that, like, know. Uh, trench coats. Like this was everyday people. Yeah, this was everyday people coming to this festival, and, and so I was really stubborn about that. That we executed it in the way that I would I would want to go to it myself, and um, mm-hmm. I think that paid off. I'm so glad you did, because I think that would have been easy to, to like change it just to make it all kind of flow and have the sponsorship and all of that, but it definitely would not have been the same. And also, Live More is very basic. 100%. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like Live Moss is like like a brand, like logo. It's like Live Moss. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you're an artist and that's why you're a creator and that's why you are, you know, special is that you see that vision and you stick to it, which is amazing. I think there's something that you're talking about too is like how the artists didn't judge each other and didn't, um, people were like removed of judgment. And I think there's, you know, obviously the, um, when you're talking about death and fear, there's something interesting that happens when people are being their like authentic selves and they are expressing their fear. The vulnerability sort of lends itself to non-judgment. You know, people are less inclined to judge if they both have that like general understanding that they are going to be like open and vulnerable and in a place where they don't feel completely comfortable. You know, it's like humans are interesting. Like we are way more compassionate, I think, than, you know, we we want to make out to be. I couldn't agree more. And, and again, I think coming back to the this idea of, you know, the art world or, or young people going to some kind of festival, there's so much judgment in a space like that but it just comes from a place of insecurity. So if you can create an environment where from the get-go you're saying, guys, we're all going to die. We're all human. We all have fears. Let's talk about it. And let's do it in a really fun way. 
you've just like cut out all of all of the, even the possibility of entertaining judgment and going in there insecure because we're saying like we're all insecure in some ways or we all have these flaws let's let's talk about it and and that was so obvious at the festival Mm-hmm. I love to think about that. Like anytime I'm like have to have a meeting or a talk with someone who I hold up here and I want to get a story from you, but like it's, I have to remind myself, I'm like, they're a human being who like- Wipes their ass. Wipes their ass. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> That's what I, That's what I always mean. think. <laughs> who like probably dropped coffee on their tie this morning mm-hmm. or her dress. Like it's just- you know, I have to remind myself of that. And it's so funny. So if you had a moment, you know, throughout this process or maybe earlier on where you where you really had that, like checking yourself of your own message and it proved to create a deeper connection with someone. Yeah, 100%. I mean, in terms of my connection with the people around me, the fact that every day last year or for the past 13 months working on this project, I've thought about fear and death. And I've thought, like, my biggest fear in life is being the last to go, as in having to farewell my loved ones before I go. I, the, Same. the thought of that, like, that's genuinely my biggest fear. The cool I thing. I cry regularly thinking about it. Yeah, I find that mm. so tough to even comprehend farewelling the people I love. The amazing thing about identifying that fear is that it then provides me with what do I want to do between now and then? Like, that's inevitable. That's going to happen. I don't know when. I don't know how. I know it's going to be tough. But between now and that moment, like, how do I want to live with these people? What are the words that I want to choose to communicate with them? And and how do I want to show my gratitude for these people in my life? I think it's so powerful to just identify these fears and, and then realize that you actually have the ability to do something about it. trying to think of my biggest fear besides that I need to like ruminate on this like what they are because I feel like to be honest I probably like stuff it down like I don't know if I think through my fears enough Mm. you know yeah and like what is the value of thinking through those fears is kind of like what you're after I think with the art just to talk you talked about choosing between a what if or a why not uh, do you have a what if that like gnaws at you? Or have you been really good about why nodding? Do you have one? What if I would have done this or that? Is that what it is? Mm. Yeah, I got to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But it's like, you know, of course, like now you have the choice of why not. And I love I love that phrase as a reminder. Mm-hmm. But I feel like how do you work through those what ifs that already were? Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know what I mean? Like great question. Real real meta. <laughs> I was yeah. like, where am I? Yeah. I'm a planet Lindsay right now. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if there's a what if that comes to my like yeah, there's not there's not one that comes to my mind right now, but I do know that with this project, like there was I'd say every second day I, I genuinely considered giving up on it last year. Mm. Like genuinely. Just like just the amount of workload and the amount of sacrifices I had to make. Like I quit my job and literally poured my life savings to make this festival happen because I wanted it to be done in the way that I wanted it to be done. Like I, 
I didn't want to give into a sponsor because I wanted to see it come to life, what was in my mind and what was in my heart ultimately. So, so many times throughout last year, people would be working on it for free because there was hardly any budget. And all of a sudden I had 50 artists and I had 50 crew working on it. Like over a hundred people worked on this. Oh my God. And there I was, like, I've never done a festival in my life. You know what I mean? Like I was Mm -hmm. legitimately just freaking out thinking, you've bitten off, bitten off way more than you can chew. This is a terrible idea. And, um, and like I said, at the field trip talk, six weeks out from the festival, we hadn't launched our Kickstarter campaign. Tickets hadn't gone on sale and we had 62 likes on our Facebook page. You know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. stuff, they were the, those were the days where I was just like, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But the entire message was this what if versus why not. And I knew that even if it failed, I won't have to live with that what if. I can at least tell myself, well, I went for it. And then that's what the whole project is, ironically. It's, it's about going for it. So if I didn't commit to it 100%, then fear would have won. Mm. How did t- over 1,200 people show up? Mm-hmm. What was the tipping point? How did they find out about mm-hmm. this? I don't know. I feel like 20 years from now, my mom's going to be like, so I actually paid for everyone to come. Um, they were just totally. actors. They were just paid ah! actors. <laughs> She's like, you were on the edge and I needed to do something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, like, I think that's the amazing thing. Like I launched this Kickstarter video. Ugh. And I mean, because your videos it's are It's you. I mean, it's you. I'm not surprised. Same. Literally, I'm 0% surprised because yeah. like you just have this light and this spirit around you that attracts people. But yeah. I just didn't know if you did something that was like, you know, overhaul last minute. Let's get <laughs> these people in here. But yeah, no, I think I just, crazy. I literally just, like put my heart on the line. And I was like, this is it. Like whatever happens, happens. At least I know I went all in. Like I I can honestly say I went, I gave it everything I've got, passion and time and money and everything. Mm. I gave it everything and and it resonated. I found out I wasn't the only one that felt that way. Mm. Mm. How did it feel after? Like the last day? Almost one night, but the day after. Yeah, the day after I, well, I was exhausted because I hadn't slept for weeks. Um, And to be honest, it actually probably took me a month or two to process Mm. what had actually happened. I still get emails, you know, from the festival, from people that came along and are telling me, my girlfriend and I came to this festival and it completely, you know, reinvigorated our relationship. And now we go for late night swims and, and we go and do things that we wouldn't have otherwise. And I want to thank you for that. Like just random little thoughts like that, that oh. that's my payment. That's the fuel for my fire to like do this again. Mm-hmm. It's why I want to bring this festival to America and, and why I believe like it totally has the legs to go around the world because it's universal. It's not just like only Australians experience fear. Like everyone feels this and everyone mm-hmm. can be closer together if we talk about it and think about it and, and act on it in this, in this environment. Wow. What do you think is like keeping people, fr- keeping people fearing death? Like, what do you think that is? Like, what do you think has made it ingrained in us that we all fear death and we sort of avoid conversations? Like, why do you think that is? Yeah, it's so fascinating. Like, it's, it's in our Western culture, Right, like to, there's there's other obviously 
uh, in the East and, and there's other religions like Buddhism and whatnot that talk about it all the time. Whereas in the West, mm-hmm. uh, I think because we know it hurts, we just shut it out. We're like, that's tragic, that's morbid, that hurts. So let's not talk about it. And the hardest thing about that is when it happens to someone we love, which it will, we don't know how to deal with it. Like we don't know how to deal with grief in a Western culture. And so with the festival, like we had the most fascinating panel discussions from people who are either from different cultural backgrounds or who work within like the death industry come and talk about why it's important to talk about it. Because otherwise, when it does happen, it's really a difficult topic to, uh, to navigate. And like, I don't know about America, but in Australia, you can go to a funeral and then the next day, you're just meant to be back in the office at work and not talk about it because it's, it's uncomfortable for others and you don't want to make them uncomfortable. So you just bottle it up. And that's so unhealthy. Mm. So true. What were the panel conversations like? Like what were people talking about as it relates to death and grief and having those conversations? I think a lot of it was about just having the conversations, Mm -hmm. just being able to create a space that obviously at first it's going to be uncomfortable, like talking about anything with a stigma or a taboo nature about it. It's going to be tough at first, but knowing that again, like uh, I guess, identifying for me that my biggest fear is losing my loved ones. That's a, for a lot of people, that's a very confronting thought. And, but I know that a lot of other people feel that, but when you do the value that comes from that, like the way that I can now approach my life of how I want to interact with the people that I love. Yeah. The conversations are important. And then beyond that, I actually think drawing from a lot of different cultures. So a friend of mine, MLA, uh, she's Fijian, um, and she talk, she spoke about like the Polynesian culture and, and and dealing with death and how there's this all-inclusive space where it's encouraged for people to sit around for anywhere from I think it's seven to ten days and like wailing and crying and letting it up, but doing letting it all out, but doing it together, like sitting around the body and just letting it all out for that long and sharing meals and sitting there with this body and creating a space for men to do that as well. Like I know in the Maori culture in New Zealand, the men are able to sit down together and even teach the young boys that it's okay to cry. Whereas we don't have that in the West. You know what I mean? And if you've lost someone you love, that's just so messed up to not feel comfortable to be able to let that emotion out or to let it out for one hour at a funeral and that's it. So Mm. I think being able to just talk about it and also learn from from other cultures is is super important. So you want to bring this to the States and then worldwide. Is there, how do you think it's, I think it's going to be received amazingly, Mm -hmm. but is there, are you going to be doing it differently depending on where you are? I feel like because you said like in the West, we deal with death differently. You know, I think that's kind of an interesting way to be, like kind of come at it. So are you going to be doing it differently depending on where it is? Like what's the plan? What do you feel? Yeah, so instinctually. anywhere that we do this festival, one of the most important things to us is community, 100%. Because that's what we want to nurture. And so 
it can't be a community if you don't include the local artists. So anywhere that we go, we team up with local artists and we give them these briefs and, and come up with these concepts and get them to explore and experiment and create art in their own unique style that's obviously in line with the, the festival aesthetic, but we create a very community-based uh, experience. And so, you know, coming to America, oh, my God, there's so many artists that I love out there. And, and that excites me, you know, to be able to go to a new environment and, and say, this is who we are and this is what we do. And, and this message is just all about empowering people to feel less and live more. Can you help use your art to bring that to life? Is there one installment that you love that you loved that you were like so moved by? Like, can you talk a little bit about some of the installments at the event? I'd love to like get a paint a picture. Yeah, sure, sure. So, uh, like I said, there was ten different rooms, and in each room there was one or more installations. And because we wanted it to be about the experience, we called it an amusement park for the soul. So you could like cruise around and go through these experiences. So. For instance, one room was a death meditation where you came in and it was this 25-minute meditation with silent disco headphones Mm. and it was in this dark room and there was a a glowing coffin at the front of it with neon lights inside, rainbow. And you were guided through this meditation on imagining not being on earth anymore and then imagining someone you love not being on earth anymore and how that makes you feel. And then knowing that you are here, what do you want to do with, with life moving forward? And, and when you came out of the meditation, there was a postcard which you wrote to yourself a message of what you were feeling. And we post those postcards out a year after the festival to remind you of, of how you felt in that moment. Um, so on one end of the spectrum, that was like, you know, something super deep. And I did that and I like balls mm. my eyes out. It was so intense, but... It's so powerful. Then on the other end, because we're exploring you know, fear as well, um, there was a, a performance that was immersive. It was called Bedroom Grooves. And so we, mm-hmm. we built a, a bedroom that you didn't know what was behind the door and 10 people could go in at a time and then they had silent disco headphones and they walked into this full-on like 1990s like, set like with posters and a bed and boombox and everything. And there was a dancer in there who was just dancing to this music as if no one was watching. And then halfway through the song, they kind of break the fourth wall. They get people dancing with them. And then everyone just has this crazy five-minute party. And then they walk out another door. But (laughs) the coolest thing about it was we had a secret camera inside. So it was projecting live to the festival in another room. So you would then walk out and realize that like, you were just showing the world your bedroom moves. And that's what this whole thing is about. It's like, we're so afraid of what people think of us, but then to walk out and feel amazing and then be like, oh shit, people just, like a whole room of people just watched me dance in there, but it doesn't matter because this is a non-judgmental space. Like that was something that like people were like, you know, crying with laughter. Whereas like the death meditation, people were crying with real emotion and And that was the beautiful thing about it. It was this scale of going from something that would make you laugh to make you cry and all the emotions in between that 
Um, it was a roller coaster and, and so powerful. How has this work with with the festival um, impacted your work as a director? Mm-hmm. I guess anyone that works in the creative industry, sometimes you, you need those check-in moments when you're on set or working late and everyone is just slaving over a project for some big corporate commercial brand and people are getting yelled at and people are, you know, like when you find yourself in that really intense space. I remember one day someone on a, a set where I was directing, the things were getting heated and he just stopped and he was just like, hey guys, we're not saving lives. Everyone chill out. And, and it's good to just like have that perspective check. And so for me, like with this, we're all going to die. Man, it's just chilled me out so much. Not that I was highly strong before, but like mm-hmm. really what is important in life. And, and uh, again, like, you know, even my fear of, sometimes speaking up and, and sharing ideas. Like, I just kind of go for it now. You know, it, it, it's not going to kill me. It's okay. So I think the whole message of, like, fear less, live more, it's just given me this really, like, calm energy to, to approach creative projects because, like, even if I fail, there's going to be a really funny story for my friends at the pub. Easy as that. Really? That's what we think a lot too. I'm always like when failures and stuff, I'm like, oh, it's part of your story. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's part of like the funny thing that you could say down the line. Like this happened to me. It's part of what makes you, gives you grit and gives you relatability and gives you that edge. You know, you don't want to talk to, we don't, especially for the podcast, we don't want to talk to anyone that's had a perfect path. You know, that's not interesting. There's no no lessons learned if everything's been super easy. So for us, it's really important to have that element, you know, to it. And I think with fear, I've been, I've talked about it before on another podcast that I was interviewed on, but it's really just like a muscle, you know, it's a muscle that you work. It's tiny steps, you know, maybe they were made into bigger steps and people may look and think, you know, wow, there must be like no fear in someone's life or something like that. But it's really just like doing small things, you know, calling your mom and saying, I love you. You know, maybe you guys never say I love you. You know, it's telling your dad I love you. It's the little things and it's like, okay, I did it and you survived. You know, everyone, you know, for the most part survives. So um, working that muscle is just super important to get you where you want to be. Yeah, totally. That's it. That's that's what it's all about. It's just identifying it, right? Like people, I think when you say, you know, what do you fear? People immediately go like, oh, sharks and spiders and and these things which, like, I'm terrified of sharks, cool. But really, I'm not, like, sharks aren't holding me back from living life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not, yeah. like, like, there's other things that you don't realize that they're fear. Like, yeah, the fear exactly. of being, really, like, wanting to wear a certain shirt, but being like, oh, man, people will think I'm so lame, so you don't do it. Like, that's because you're afraid of being judged. Like that is mm. that is a fear that's way more likely to impact your life than a shark. And so it's totally, about yeah. it's about identifying that and being like, what's holding me back? Why is it holding me back? And, and what is that fear? And how can I learn to to slowly start to overcome that? Like it's not like overnight we expect people to go out and just do a one eighty. Like that's not realistic either. But the sooner you can identify it, that I think you can start doing small steps to, to, you know, beating that fear. Love. 
Um, yeah, I feel like fear kind of masks itself in like egocentric frustration yeah. sometimes. You know, it's like you can get so wrapped up in what someone else or something else is doing to you. And it could drive you to be really frustrated, maybe paralyzed, you know, uninspired, stuck. And really it's just either a fear thought or a story or an experience you haven't really dealt with. Mm. I think about like our parents' generation, and I don't know your experience, but like I just feel like none of them were given the opportunity to really flesh out those fears or talk about them or to talk about a traumatic experience or sadness like it's all just like shut down yeah they're shut down and like they have these like actual like blocks in their energy system that's creating these like bigger than life scenarios that don't actually exist you know like legit like the fear the worry like well if you go there if you go and travel overseas you know you're you could risk getting killed. Yep. Well, they sit and watch or Fox whatever. News all day. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> that's why you get the fear. Why me and my best friend went to Arizona a few weeks ago from home. Her mom texted her as soon as we land. She's like, just so you know, Arizona is the capital for rapists and uh, kidnapping. She's like, so make sure to call me every hour. We're like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah there's, a, I completely agree with you, Lindsay. Yeah, I completely um, agree with you. And, and again, like, I guess our generation we're coming out of that and and there is a lot more conversation and, and self-help out there. The biggest thing is we're not just this one-dimensional generation. Like people, people are different and they've got different tastes. And I know that I guess within the you know community that I exist, like so much of self-help is just seen as really like uncool. And 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 so yeah. people reject it, but they need it. They need to have those conversations. Yeah. So a big part of this whole project is like making it accessible where they don't realize mm. they're having maybe a life-changing experience. They're just there because it looks kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Can you talk to us about your work as a director? Yeah. I'd love to know like your... Some of your projects, your charities yeah, you work with. I mean, it's so dope. You're so talented. It's, it's like <laughs> Makes me want to cry. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, do, you, do you know how talented you are? Yeah. I, I don't know how to answer this. Like, it, this is such a, I don't know what to say right now. To hear from people like us that you're talented is crazy. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. I know, it, I know. I don't know. In Australia, it's so hard to take a compliment because people will be like, hey, you're really talented. And if you're like, oh, thanks, they'll be like, but you're also arrogant for taking that compliment. So like, oh, really? Yeah, it's just, that's, mi- that's Midwest vibes, too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you always cut Gotta it down. Be humble. You say, Oh, you saw one thing. Well, you know, the whole time I was, you know, yeah, you, you have to like, like cut yourself down. down. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a pretty toxic culture here in Australia sometimes, but uh, anyway, so funny, thank huh? you. Yes. I do love mm-hmm. directing films really, uh, you know, diplomatic. Like where do you go? Like, yes. in, like, what is your process? Just because your work is so unique. Like I feel like I'm being taken to another plane of existence and it's like the raddest shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Where do uh, you go? Like mentally and spiritually, like how do you get there? Uh, I just tap into like without sounding too woo-woo, just like my inner No child. sound woo. It's woo. It, yeah, woo-woo. it works. Yeah, yeah okay. Woo-woo I, works. I straight up just tap into my inner child. Like I've never lost it and I never want to. 
And I know mm. when, like, when I was a kid, my dad asked me, like, what do you want to be when you're older? And I said, I want to be a children's entertainer because kids are way more fun than adults. Like I said that when I was a kid, I already wanted to like still Damn. be hanging out with people my age when I was an adult. Wow. Because like that adults lose the everyday wonder that is happening around us. Whereas a kid, every day is an exploration. Every day is an adventure. And uh, do you know The Little Prince, the book? Yes, Le Petit Prince. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, a, like, <laughs> I had to put it in there. I know. My, my French teacher, rest in peace, would be really, really happy. <laughs> Steph goes, nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did, I did a, like a French head wiggle, yeah, but did. not the accent. I went, nice. Like, that's that was amazing. Oh. It was a good mix. Oh, he tipped was... his imaginary beret, guys. I, <laughs> I actually just mimicked France. Uh, it's full circle. There you go. Yes, there you go. Yeah. You're uh, a comedian too. Yeah, callback. Totally. Uh, it's all about the callback. So, um, yeah, there's a line in The Little Prince at the beginning and it says, everyone was once a child. Oh, every adult was once a child, though few of them remember. Mm. And so I want to remember and I want that to shine through my work. I want my work to, to transport people into a place where they see that wonder that's in everyday life and it inspires them as an individual to do something good in the world. And that's why I work with a lot of charities and nonprofits and it's why I try not to make the, uh, the old cliché black and white film with a snotty-nosed kid and guilt trip people into supporting a cause because I don't believe in that because I've been to these countries. I've been to, to India and, you know, Africa and Thailand and Indonesia and these kids are running around smiling and laughing and having an amazing childhood but they don't have access to clean water or they don't have education but that doesn't mean that they're upset 24-7. It doesn't mean they don't have dreams. So I want to share those dreams and I want to tell our audience that for them to achieve those dreams, they need the basic, the basic human needs that we all have a right to, that, that water and education and food, they need that. And so my films are about celebrating life and, and showing, I guess, the human spirit shine through, but just in a really fun, colourful way. Mm-hmm. It is so fun. Yeah, it's they're so freaking beautiful. Um, how do you find your communities, subjects that you'd mm-hmm. like to create this story around? Yeah. Uh, at first, do they reach out to you. Like, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So at first, I my career with I guess philanthropy started when I was twenty one, and I was in America touring uh, my first documentary around. Um, which is called Surfing 50 States. And I surfed in every state of America when I was 18 years old. Cool. Can I? Can we watch this somewhere? Uh, yeah, I think you can download it for free on the internet, which wow. like, okay. I'm so fine telling people that because I guess I download films as well. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I was, I was touring my film around America and an orphanage in Mexico wrote me an email and said, hey, we'd love you to send a copy of the DVD down here to Mexico. We are pretty much on the border of Guatemala. There's 50 kids here in the orphanage and they surf as well. 
and surfing has changed their life. Uh, and so I sent them a DVD and then a month later the tour wrapped up and I emailed them and said, can I come down and volunteer? And they were like, oh, cool. Like, when are you thinking this year? And I was like, next week. And so I jumped on a plane down to Tapachula, Chiapas, and I volunteered there for three months. And in that time, met these kids and heard their stories. And as a 21-year-old speaking to these kids, but some of them weren't even that much younger than me, and hearing what they'd been through, but hearing how surfing and love from these two Australian parents that had gone over and started the orphanage had changed their lives, I felt compelled to to share that story with an audience. And so I made a documentary called Somewhere Near Tapachula and toured that around Australia and America. And we ended up raising $100,000 for the orphanage to send these kids on to university, which like, and this was nine years ago. So since then, they've gone on to become like doctors and social workers and all these different like super successful stories but that was for me the most like transformational experience in my life because I was exposed to I guess like the reality and the hardships that exist but also exposed to how art can you know inspire positive change and Mm. and in particular for me my I guess skill set of filmmaking how I could use that to make a difference in the world Um, and so since then, I've just kind of been approached by different charities who have seen my previous work and and that's, uh, yeah, kind of allowed me to travel the world and work with a lot of different charities. Wow. I love that. I know. It's, can we hang forever? Yeah, literally. Oh, can you actually call me every week? This is so much fun. Yes, we can. Oh, oh my God. That Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's what, that's what I saw in, you know, your work too is like the positive spin on it. And I try and think about that actually, you know, as much as I can, because there are, you know, you know, you come across with situations with people where you feel bad for them. You know, you look down upon them and it's not looking down upon them, but it's feeling bad for someone, you know, say they're in a wheelchair or something like that. You immediately feel bad because they can't walk or, you know, you can, they, it's different, but really it's like, it's all perceptive and, by thinking, feeling bad for someone that doesn't help the energy. So it's more feeling happy for them, you know, that they have someone that's with them or, you know what I mean? I think it's really shifting that. And I think there's like a beautiful message to each of your story is our perception is that they are not happy because they don't have a car or a phone or, you know, a computer or whatever, these things that we really value and cherish, but really they require less and, you know, they find joy in any situation that they're in. So I really thought that was like a beautiful through line of each of the pieces that we saw. So um, in the show notes and on the website, we're going to have Steph's um, website and you can see all the reels and some of the projects that he's worked on. I mean, they're crazy. So um, we're really excited to like share those with you guys uh, so you can check it out. So excited. What are you most excited about coming up? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I'm moving to America. In three, yeah, in three months. So I'm going to move over to New York. And if I'm not tough enough for New York, I'll move to California. Yes, um, okay. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I'm most excited about that. I've, I've traveled a bunch there. I have amazing friends. I love like just the energy and, oh. you know, just the scale, like everything is bigger in America. And that's super exciting mm-hmm. to, to be around. So 
yeah, I'm, I'm really pumped for that. And we're ready like, for you. We need Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm so psyched. And then 2019, uh, bringing the festival, we're all going to die out to the States. That's the plan at the moment. So working on that already. Great. Perfect. Any way we'll that we can help, there. you let us know. We will help you in any We'll be there. Way. We'll promote. We'll be there. Um, so how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, they can connect with me via Pigeon or uh, Mind Reading. Oh <laughs> <laughs> At first I thought that was like an Australian like app. I know. I was, I was like, like, oh, Pigeon. I was like, oh, do we have to download? Yeah, that? I was like, <laughs> is it new? Yeah. yeah. We, we keep things super retro here in Australia. Huh? <laughs> Just carrier pigeons. No, I, I, I guess through uh, through my website, um, stephanhunt.com or the website for We're All Going to Die is we're all going to.com. And then beyond that, yeah, Instagram and uh, yeah, it's probably the best way to follow me. Amazing. Thanks so much for making the time. Yeah. This is like a dream. We saw you speak and we looked mm. at each other. We were like... Yes. Gotta have him on. Gotta have him on. And then you came to our talk and we were like, <gasps> yeah, we celebrity were like in the room. Famous. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, <laughs> true. True we're story. Like, what does he think of this bed in the middle of the room? <laughs> how loved, hilarious was that? I loved how you incorporated the bed into the talk. Like just halfway through, you're like, I'm just. I'm just going to sit down and just... I needed the bed. I was like, we need to talk about this nasty bed. Totally. totally. Uh, You guys were amazing and totally inspired Um, me to uh, not do a podcast. Not do a podcast. Because you do it it really well and I see how much time and effort goes into it. And I don't have that much time. I definitely have the effort, but I I don't have that much time. So I'll just be happy listening to yours. I feel like someone's going to reach out to you who wants to do like a narrative podcast and document what you're doing with We Are All Going mm-hmm. to Die. So I'm putting that out there, anyone listening, because mm-hmm. I truly, that would be fascinating mm-hmm. and yeah. do all the work for you, but yet promote what you're doing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I never, there you go. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, this is the whole <laughs> thing, right? Like my entire project is is unpaid and it's it's just like a labor of love and it's just trying to get this message mm-hmm. out there. Oh, and with that, one thing I would love to plug is on our yes. website, on we'reallgoingto.com, mm-hmm. there's a page called You, and it's where you can come on and submit what you fear most. So there's a little template that you can fill out, and we use those fears to then create artwork for the festival. And, and it's completely private and anonymous. We don't tell anyone, anyone your name. It's so powerful to see people's fears and to realize that you're not the only one that feels it. So anyone listening, jump on we're all going to.com forward slash you and share your fear with us because it really mm. helps our project stay alive. Wow. Oh, I love that. We'll link that in the show Can notes. Thanks so We're much. We're so grateful for you. Uh, Thank you so much for your energy, for you know doing what you do. This is the kind of thing that just fills us up. So we're excited to share you with our audience. Oh, Appreciate thank you so much. This is so much fun. You guys thank are amazing. You. I, I know. We'll call you tomorrow morning, okay? Yeah, see you yeah. then. Yeah. Well, let's just do a little like, just every every day we're like, this is the video you're awesome at. And then you just get all... <laughs> <laughs> oh, have the best day. Thank Bye, you Steph. again. We'll see talk you to you soon. See you guys. Bye. Take that, Almost 30 Nation. Tell me, like, tell us, are you... Because I had a fear of death. Do you have a fear of, de- of death? No, you don't. Mm-mm. I did. And like, after... What? My fear is a life not lived. <laughs> Damn.
<laughs> you can buy the, that's the truth. You can, it's actually yeah, true. Yeah, and like being fat. <laughs> but I am like looking at myself naked. Oh my God. I'm just kidding. Krista Williams. Yeah, I just like my perspective totally shifted. And yeah. um and the fact that he's creating like a community and a sense of like celebration around it, I think is so important. Yeah. And mm. that he and that he it just put everything aside to do this, you know, to focus on this full time and make it happen. Mm. And like every single day be scared to do this and make it make it work and every single day show up and actually make it fucking happen for himself and for the greater good. Come on. Come on. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And he's on the other side of the world, you know? And he's like bringing it all the way to the other side of the world. Like it's not just like, he's not keeping it local. I know, I hope we can go. Like check tickets. I know. At the one in Brooklyn. Just like, let me like... They can like paint my body. Let me like sweep. Like, let me sweep trash. 100%. Please. We should actually email him, tell him that. Hey, we'll sweep trash. Can we come? Literally, can we come? We'll sweep trash. (laughs) All right, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Join our secret Facebook group. If you haven't already, we'll talk about it in there as... And share this with your friends. Start the conversation with one another about this topic. Um, It's super important. And we wanted to just approach it in a really light, a light and open way. All right, guys. We love you. And we will see you next Tuesday. 